Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. The Pruner and the Pruned. To keep a rose bush blooming, the old buds must be cut away. I watch them approach, given the task to cut the dead buds. I wince as they drew out the clippers. I knew what would come next. They started cutting the dead blooms. Snip, snip, oops, they proclaimed. A new bud, not yet bloomed, fell to the ground. So as Leah said, I'm Amara. I'm a senior communication disorders major, and per CCF tradition, I included a picture of my family. So you got my brother, Juan, and then my grandma, and then my dad, and then me and my mother in front. Um, So the titles I have for you today is The Story of a Rosebush, A Lesson from the Garden, Submitting to God's Will. I realized I, too, had shears in my hands. There she goes, talking about plants again. And snip, snip, whoops. So if you know anything about me, you probably know that I love plants, metaphors, and God. Given that, this is my imperfect attempt of understanding God and the kingdom through my experiences gardening. This semester, I started working at the pollinator garden behind Magruder. You should definitely check it out, but maybe not right now because we're cutting everything back in preparation for winter. I usually spend my time in the garden connecting with our creator through prayer. I love working with my hands as it forces me to slow down and return to the slow rhythm of life. It helps me turn back to God and allows me to rest. Last week, I found myself overwhelmed in in searching for God's presence, so to the garden I went. Part of the section that I care for contains a row of beautiful rose bushes. Um, So on the left is some of the roses, and on the right, you see some blooms that are not bloomed yet. They're just about to bloom. Um to encourage the roses to bloom you cut them from spring until frost and so the next photo is of some of the dead blooms lots of them Um, this task can be quite tedious and demands careful attention to details and lots and lots of patience cutting the rose bush seems to be counterintuitive why would cutting the bush up actually help it bloom even more Nevertheless, pruning is necessary for growth. Pruning, in my experience, can be excruciating. Pruning can take the forms of the removal of people you love in your life, the feelings of loneliness that forces you to turn to God, failure, rejection that teaches you your worth comes from above. It can be a friend lovingly calling you out for your sin. But there are also moments, painful moments, that were never meant to be. Moments where the weight and consequence of sin has leaked into the world where the kingdom is here, but not yet fully. The part of the world that God has never intended there to be. The new part of the bush that has been cut, but was never supposed to be cut. Pain and suffering that is not and should not be sought out. Over the summer, I worked at a traveling day camp, and I was a counselor, 
And at first, I was skeptical of the entire thing. I was afraid that I would not be accepted and that camp would not live up to my expectations. I can confirm that camp was hard. <laughs> it caused me to live closely and intimately with people I hardly knew, people that I would have never met otherwise. My summer was filled with late nights, early mornings, long drives, crazy kids, and many unorganized days and circumstances that foster closeness and bonding. I spent a lot of time laughing and googling my heart out, but I spent an equal amount of time and nights crying out to God about the brokenness in the world. The racism and exclusion that was happening in the churches that we were visiting and within the hearts of camp leadership crushed me. I heard jokes and comments made to other kids or about other races or about our staff that should have never been said. It paid me to see the division in the church, but what was more painful was seeing up and close the lack of action on the camp's leadership part. Isn't church leadership supposed to protect the marginalized like Jesus did? I was told to focus on the gospel and let go of issues that were not pertinent to it. I saw discrimination be dismissed and shrugged off with some uncomfortable laughter and I got the underlying message that the gospel is not about love for everyone, but only some. Surely this is not the kingdom of God that I'm sharing and representing. The weight of being ignored and pushed aside slowly built up. I became increasingly angry and unaware of what to do with the dissonance between what I believed the Bible to represent and what I was being told the Bible represented. The anger and heaviness I carried eventually led to my camp experience coming to an abrupt end a week early, something that I carried a lot of shame about. One of the girls I was on the same team with for many weeks, let's just call her Lily, her name is not Lily, um, but she became a close friend of mine. Um, she was the program assistant, so it was her job to oversee all the camp counselors and communicate between us and the church and her, um, the camp, sorry. Um, that we were serving. Uh, we would spend time conversing over racism and the weight of the brokenness of the world. She is someone I began to confide in and trust. On the way to our last church, I was sharing my experiences and the pain that I felt over the last couple weeks of camp when, uh, jo sorry, when Jill and I were together. I forgot the name I gave her. <laughs> um, I was angry at the lack of action on the camp's behalf, and I shared my thoughts because I thought she was looking to understand me. The following day, I was pulled out by my camp director for a conversation. So he came to the camp, um, and he told me that I could go back to Kansas City with him, end my contract early, and be able to return home and rest because he heard that I was upset. I was very committed to sharing the gospel and about God's love, so I politely declined and said that I wanted to counsel my kiddos the last week. After I shared what I wanted to say, the, that I wanted to stay, the director left to consult with Lily. He returned to me and said that Lily told him that the week of camp would go better without me than with me. They did not want me at camp. I went home with deep feelings of betrayal. I thought Lily was my friend. I thought she understood my pain. I was weighed down with confusion and I fa faced isolation at home and deep heartache. Somebody who I'd confided in and called my friend and walked with me through this summer had decided that she did not want me there any longer. And the staff supported and carried through the termination of employment. 
Is this what Jesus felt when he was betrayed by his beloved disciple? I transition into a season that I cannot say that I'm fully on the other side of. I'm struggling between having a deep love for God while having deep distrust for God's people. People I'm called to love, people who have hurt me, and people I don't trust. My camp experiences has caused me to become fearful of letting anybody new into my life, let alone trust anybody who was in my life prior. This semester, I'm an apprentice for a small group, which basically means letting new people into my life is necessary. Well, sort of. Small group became something I dreaded going to. I didn't want to share anything or have anybody close to me. I was terrified of betrayal, and somehow I found myself surrounded by people, yet feeling so alone. And without realizing it, I was using the same shears of destruction to cut others around me. I isolated myself and withdrew from the girls who only wanted to love me. Snip. Sure, I physically showed up to small group. I feel like that was required of me. But I kept my mental wall up. Snip. A wall of shame, a wall of hurt, and I convinced myself that in order to not get hurt, I could just keep others far from me. In this season, I have come quite acquainted with inner turmoil. I read the Bible and am reminded of God's kingdom and God's vision. I began to see more and more how Jesus sat with the marginalized. He loved them fully and was criticized by church leaders at the time. Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 describes his vision for the kingdom. In chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others reveal you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hello. God, this is not the kingdom I've experienced this summer. Why are your teachings in the Bible not a reality? I spent lots of time crying out to God, lots of anger and arguing and pointing my fingers at all the brokenness in the world and in the church. God, why must I live in a community? Jesus, I feel alone and betrayed and nobody understands what I've been through, nor do I want them to be close enough to know what I've been through. Honestly, God, your community sucks. God, are you sure we can't do this just like you and me? In this time of inner turmoil and wrestling with God's vision, God gently started to point me to the kingdom of God around me. This takes the form of Leah pushing me into reflection and pointing me to scripture about the kingdom of God and asking me difficult questions. I see the kingdom in my sociology class where we have a group chat and genuinely care about each other's well-being and where people of all different walks are loved and accepted. 
I see the kingdom and AJ listening to my internal wrestling and encouraging me in my walk and sticking by my side and reminding me of how far God has taken me. I see the kingdom in my coaching group where we are able to admit defeat, spiritual drought, and be able to hold each other in all the brokenness. I see the kingdom in the fellowship over African tea and treats with way too many people piled into my kitchen. I see the kingdom in Joel dancing with me before this sermon because I was so nervous. <laughs> then God started to gently reveal to me that the kingdom was also ever present in my small group. Whoops. The same group of girls that I've held as far away as possible, God began to reveal to me his grace through their grace. Every week these girls show up, they open up, they dig into scripture and pray over each other. Meanwhile, I drug my feet to small group, feeling isolated and afraid and unwilling to let anyone near me. Never once did they point at me or ask me why I was not contributing as much. Though, through the grace of these girls, I became reminded of God's kingdom as it was intended once more. Thinking back to the poem from the beginning, I realized that I was not only the hurting rosebush, but the one holding the clippers in my hand, destroying the new blooms that should not have been cut. I was letting my brokenness drive me to hurt and draw away from those around me as I was crying out to God about the brokenness around me. I began to feel convicted of my heart posture towards my small group. I became increasingly aware of how cold and distant I was, pushing people out of my life in hopes of not giving the ability to hurt me. Maybe Jesus blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they have to rely on a timing that is slow, one that demands eternal cha internal change, a change that cannot be forced or be immediate. One that causes you to channel anger over injustices without tearing those around you. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. There is something I forgot to mention about the clippings from the rosebush. I realized that the dead parts that have been pruned and the parts that were never meant to be pruned were not doomed to death and destruction. The goodness that has been cut, I came to realize, could also be seen in the lens of transformation. The dead parts of the bush are not discarded, but are placed in a lime green bucket. Um, the bucket is then dumped into a bin to sit and rot. But that is not the end of the story either. Through the breaking down of the dead buds or even new buds, litter, little critter, critters go to work slowly releasing nutrients. If you want more details about this process, I'm sure Hannah Simons can fill you in on it. The dead organic material is transformed into a rich substance able to feed and nourish other plants. If kept in a pile, this rich stuff is basically useless. It is when it's taken and spread throughout the garden that new life is stimulated. Through the trials and pain and the breaking down, God is transforming it for his good. God's kingdom is coming slowly through imperfect people who do not love perfectly all the time. I know I sure don't. God invites us to share our brokenness with others so that they may see his grace and goodness through it. Blessed are those who are being broken down like compost. May they be transformed into new life. Blessed are those who are hurting and keep showing up imperfectly. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted by those justifying their actions with Christianity and Jesus' name. Blessed are those who love the hard to love. Blessed is the gardener who seemingly cut too much. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God's people are far from perfect, but I assure you, there is room for you. Blessed are you, God's beloved child. I encourage you to surrender your dead ends to God, but don't let the story end there. Seek God in the breaking down. God is in the business of redemption. To close, I'm going to end with a poem from Death to Life. She sighs and places the dead remains into a careful pile. The dead matter begins to break down into a new richness. She smiles at the compost and lovingly gives it new life. If you would bow your heads and pray with me. Abba, Father, thank you for gathering us here today. I pray that you are with us and that we would learn to walk as your faithful people. May we have eyes to see brokenness. May we walk alongside and protect the marginalized as you have taught us to. God, may you say so love where there is hatred. Forgive me, Father, for the things that I have done and left undone. Soften our hearts to those around us so that they may see you over our brokenness. Merciful God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.